a story that was very interesting when it comes to driver's education. Years ago, a driver's ed teacher over in Durham gave a lesson that he would like to forget. According to the Associated Press, police said the teacher, who was age 36, had one student driver at the wheel and another in the car. You know, just kind of standard stuff. And as they're going along, a car cut them off. Well, sadly, at that moment, the driver's ed teacher apparently went into what we call road rage. It is alleged that he ordered the student driver to pursue the other car. When the other car pulled over, the driver's ed teacher got out of the car and punched the other driver in the face, giving him a bloody nose, and that bloody driver got back in their car and sped away. Now, you think that would be enough. When you've gotten your revenge, you've already caused damage. But it was not. He was not done. He again ordered the student to pursue the other car. Eventually, the police pulled over the driver's ed car for speeding. Now, I'll be honest with you, I would love to watch all this because this just seems bizarre. And they pull over the driver's ed car for speeding and the bloody-nosed driver circles back and tells the police what's going on. And the driver's ed teacher, now remember, he's got student drivers with him. 
The driver's ed teacher is then arrested. He's charged with simple battery, which is punishable by up to 60 days in jail. He was released on $400 bail, and later he was suspended from his job and then ended up resigning. Can you imagine a situation like that? Can you imagine a driver's ed teacher entering into road rage involving students in it and ended up getting arrested? Talk about a poor example to student drivers or just a poor example in general. The example that we set in life is so important, especially as followers of Jesus Christ. Your example in life, not just in driving, but driving's a part of it, but your example in life is so important. My example is so important. Perhaps you've heard a little poem that kind of illustrates this truth. It goes like this. You are writing a gospel a chapter each day by the deeds that you do, by the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Our example is so important. And we're learning here in our study of First Thessalonians, uh, as we go through this little book, that the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. When a person truly experiences the gospel, they're never the same. And as believers, we're changed. The Bible says we're new creatures, we're new creations in Christ. And our example should reflect that. Now, we see it worked out in the first chapter. We've been studying through chapter 1. We're going to finish that up, God willing, today. But the Thessalonians here, they hear the gospel. Then they respond to the gospel. And then they begin to follow their new leaders of the faith, people like Paul and uh, Silas or Silvanus, as he's called here, and his associates, and they're following them as they follow the Lord. And yes, they are following the Lord, but ultimately they're learning how to follow the Lord by following the example of Paul and his associates. In fact, we see it. Are you there? First Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 6. It says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And now you're going to find out today that these Thessalonians, they not only follow the leaders, Paul and his associates, as they follow the Lord, we're going to learn today they became people themselves that others could follow. And that's the way it should be in the Christian life. Let's pick it up again. Look at verse number 6 again. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. Remember, they were experiencing persecution from the get-go. Over in the book of Acts, we looked at that. They received it with much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you... Now watch this. Now watch verse 7. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, let me just bring you back up to speed because we're looking at some things we touched on last week and then we're moving on. Last week we saw how they received the gospel. How they received the gospel. We also saw before that how the gospel came. And today we want to kind of complete those thoughts by saying how it changed them. How did the gospel change these believers? 
Now, this is such a rich chapter. In fact, I wrestled uh, with how to, how to bring all this to you because there's so much stuff, so much good stuff here, so much truth that we need to talk about. But I boiled it down, thankfully to the Lord helping me, I boiled it down to three key changes that took place in their lives. And I want to talk to you about those three key changes that took place. We see the Gospel gave them a relationship with God, a message from God, and a future with God. And by the way, these same changes are true of us. The things we're going to talk about the Thessalonians today are true of us if we're followers of Jesus Christ. We get a relationship with God, we get a message from God, and we get a future with God. So let's consider each one in turn. The Gospel gave them a relationship with God. Look back at verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We find their salvation there. We find their conversion. We find repentance and faith. Faith and repentance. We talked about those two things go together. They turn to God, faith, from idols, repentance. Two sides of the same coin, faith and repentance. When a person truly is born again. They had been idol worshipers. Pagans. Lost. Condemned. Doomed. In darkness. And when the glorious light of the gospel began to shine in their lives, and their eyes, their dark and dead eyes, were open to the truth of the gospel, the fact that they were sinners in need of a Savior, when the gospel light shone forth in their lives, they turned to God away from their idols. They worship the true and living God now instead of their idols. And it's just the beginning. Why? Because the Christian life is a relationship. It's a relationship with God. We place our faith in Jesus Christ and our sin is forgiven and we're born again. It begins a relationship with God. Why? Because it calls God what here? The living and true God. He's the true God. He's the only God. And He's living. And He wants a relationship with us. And that's just a mind-blowing thing to think that the God of the universe, our Creator, the Creator of everything and everyone, wants to know us and love us and wants us to know Him. Such a tremendous thought. What a glorious truth. It gave them a relationship with God, but it also gave them a message from God. They not only heard the Gospel and experienced the Gospel, but now they're sharing the Gospel message. They're, they're an example to other people. They became a model, an example of what a church should be when it comes to sharing the gospel. Now, i just got to tell you, they were not a perfect church. There are no perfect churches. If you're visiting today wondering, well, is this a perfect church? No. It's not. There's no perfect churches. Why? Because churches are made up of believers who are sinners saved by grace. And all of us still struggle with sin in our lives. And so we know when you have people, you have problems, and we work through those with the Lord's help. And, and I think about my time here, and we've had a lot of things we've worked through over the years, and we'll have more things to work through. And, and we just just the way life is, just the way it is. But here we have a model, an example of what a church should be when it comes to evangelism. Let me read those verses to you again. This time I'll use the NLT just so you can hear it a little differently. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Greece throughout Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we find people telling us about your faith in God, we don't need to tell them about it. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. 
And they speak of how you're looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, He's the one who's rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So they, they just have a tremendous testimony of sharing the gospel. Now, my question is, how did this come about? Was this an organized thing? Was it they got together and said, okay, we're going to have a door-to-door campaign, we're going to knock on every door, and we're just going to go share the gospel? Was it an evangelism outreach? Was it preaching out in the open? What was it that allowed them to have such an impact and testimony? Well, I really believe what we have here is their testimony spread just because of who they were in Christ and how they lived in Christ and where they were. In other words, they just lived the gospel and shared the gospel as they lived out their lives. I, I think where they lived had a lot to do with it. If you remember here, looking at this map of Thessalonica right there. And here's Macedonia, this region. Here's Achaia. And when you read the Scripture here, Rodmacher said it this way, since Thessalonica was a port city and it was much traveled on the Ignatian Way, the Ignatian Way, those who saw the virtuous and life and persistent faith of these Christians would spread the word throughout the region. Uh, the same thing had happened at um, the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 6. That is, vital Christian living made a difference. In fact, Shogren added that a geographical note is in order. The Thessalonians in the far north had already affected their Thessalonica people there in Achaia and throughout Macedonia. Now look at that region there he's talking about. Paul is saying, as I travel around, I hear about your testimony. I hear about your faith. This is quite remarkable. In fact, I was reminded, the Lord just orchestrated this, I think, for today's message. I was calling this past week to reserve a U-Haul trailer for camp. We're going to pull a trailer behind the, the, the van. And we're renting from uh, George's in Oakboro. And, and I, I was talking to George. I'd never talked to George before. I didn't know George, but you wouldn't know that by us talking because George is just a people person. And I think George has lived in Oakboro all his life. And we're talking along. And he finally asked me, he says, what church are you with? And I said, I'm, with, I'm over in Anson County, Red Hill Baptist Church. You know what he said? Never heard of it. <laughs> never heard of it. And I said, well, you must not get to Anson County very much. We've been here since 1860. <laughs> and I was studying this, and it just kind of dawned on me. Think about this. Let me back up. Look at this again. There they are. And he says, you're impacting this region with the gospel. We're in Ansonville, and we haven't even got as far as Oak Barrel. It's remarkable. It reminds us of a truth that we need to never lose sight of, and that is the urgency of the gospel. We can get so caught up in doing church. And I say it that way on purpose, doing church. We can go through church-like activities and whatnot, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, we love those things, but let us never lose fact of the main thing, and that is we've got to be sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel impacted the Thessalonians' life, they followed the example of Paul and his associates and they became an example themselves of what living the gospel is like and what it looks like. And we need to follow their example. So we know the gospel gave them a relationship with God, a message from God. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also gave them a future with God. Now, they have always, of course, enjoyed God's presence since the moment they met him just like we enjoy God's presence from the moment that we meet Him. But look at verse number 10. They, they think a lot about being with God in the future. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.10 And to wait 
for His Son from heaven and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now remember, every chapter, I told you, every chapter in 1 Thessalonians mentions the return of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's a central thought throughout the book. We're going to see it. In fact, one of the most classic passages on the rapture will take place. We'll study it later, God willing. But the return of Christ is certain. Now this verse, verse number 10, we could have pulled it out and did just a whole sermon on it. Notice it mentions so many wonderful things about Jesus. It mentions the resurrection. It says in verse 10, whom He raised from the dead. It mentions salvation. It says there, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And it mentions the rapture. It says to wait for His Son from heaven. Now remember, I've shown this to you before. I don't want you to get too bogged down with it. But here we are living in the church age and the next great event that we're looking forward to is the rapture, the being called up to be with the Lord. We'll study more about it later on. But that's what we're looking for. By the way, nothing else has to happen. We're not waiting on anything else to happen. The rapture could happen any moment. When you're reading about the signs of His coming, that's talking about the second coming of Christ, as you see here. And a lot takes place. Seven years there. Tribulation time takes place. No, we're looking for the rapture. But let me just be real honest with you. We're not just waiting for an event. See, the rapture is not just about the rapture. We're waiting for Jesus. I want you to be clear on that. Notice how it says here, and to wait for His Son from heaven. The rapture is going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. It could happen today. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then those of us which remain be called up to be with Him. We'll get glorified bodies. We'll be finally be perfect. But it's not just an event. It's a person. We're waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for Jesus. The term wait there, look at verse 10, and to wait for His Son from heaven. In the original language, that's the idea of waiting up. Of waiting up for someone. You ever waited up for someone to get home? You've got a teenager you have. You know what I'm talking about. You're waiting up. You're looking. You're longing for them to come home. You're looking for them. You're looking for them. You're waiting up. Not going to go to bed yet. Going to try to stay awake. It's hard. You're waiting up. That's the picture there. Waiting up. for Jesus. Looking for Him. Longing for Him. An expectation. I think we've lost that, beloved. And that's one of the things I hope that we, we regain as a, a church and as a, a Christian that Jesus is coming again and we're looking forward to that and we're living in light of that. And we're not getting so settled here that like we're not going to live here forever. No, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We're waiting for the rapture. We're waiting for the Lord to return. Now it's interesting in verse number 10, it talks about that He delivers us from the wrath to come. And some are kind of not sure and we could make an argument maybe for different ideas here, but they're not sure what wrath is being talked about here. By the way, I just got to tell you this. God is a God of wrath. Holy, righteous, just wrath. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. But you don't get to pick and choose. God is not a buffet where you just go and say, well, I have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's not the way it works. God is perfect and just in all of its doing, and He will pour out His justice, righteous wrath upon those who reject Him for all eternity. And some are not sure what's being talked about here when it says the wrath of God. Some say, well, maybe he's talking about eternal 
wrath. That is what we call hell or the lake of fire. Others say, no, it's this tribulation wrath that's going on here where you have the abomination of desolation and and all hell kind of breaks loose here upon the earth. Well, honestly, we could say that for the believer, he rescues us from all that wrath. I think really what's being talked about here, and we lose sight of it, is that we're going to be rescued from the wrath, that hell on earth, that tribulation time that's coming. I like what Martin said. Martin said believers live anticipating a coronation rather than condemnation. We believe in pre-tribulational rapture of the church. That is that we get taken out before the tribulation time begins here on planet earth. The testimony of this church in Thessalonica was so powerful. Now, I don't know if you realize it, we're still benefiting from it today. Their testimony is still going forward today. So I want to ask the question, and it's this, what about our testimony? Is our testimony, is it going forth, is our example as a church and as individual believers making a difference? What is our personal testimony example? McDonald said it correctly when he said the best sermon is the holy life. To borrow from our poem earlier, we have to ask ourselves, what is the gospel according to you, according to me? Our example is so powerful. People are watching us. Now, I know that because I'm a preacher. If you've never been a preacher in a preacher's family, you, you may not realize that you should, but because you participate in it probably too, but you know, people watch you. And you realize as you go about that people know who you are. You don't know who they are, but you know who they are. They know who you are. And so we want to have a good example. But that's not just the case for preachers. People watch preachers' kids too. Did you know that? They put expectations on preachers' kids that they don't put on other people's kids, and it's wrong. You know why? Because it's not about being a preacher or a pastor or a minister or any of that or being a part of their family. Really, it boils down to this. We should all be Christians who live like Christians. And our example matters. The way we live, the way we drive, the way we act in public, the way we conduct our lives, the way we live at home, it all matters. Our example matters and it's impacting other people. We're the only gospel some people are ever going to read. And so I want to talk to you, really want to talk to you about this whole idea. I want you to think about what is your testimony? What is the example you're putting forth? Because people know that you claim to be a Christian. At least I hope they know that. They know, I'm assuming, that you go to that church on the hill with the weird preacher. They know these things. But are we living it out? Are we living out the Gospel? We talked a lot last week about the fact that we have to speak the Gospel with our lips, but we also should live the Gospel with our lives. Let me just share a powerful story with you. Now, I've got to tell you, this story talks about uh, abuse. And I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to uh, offend anybody. But it, it deals with abuse. But if you'll hold on to the story, you'll see where this goes. In his book, Ten Mistakes Parents Make with Teenagers, Jay Kessler, the author, describes a conversation 
he had with a young lady at a Youth for Christ summer camp. This particular camp was in Ohio, and after one of the services, some kids had come forward to the altar. By the way, if you ever go to camp, that happens. It's tremendous to watch God work and move. One young woman was having a difficult time, so the counselors asked me, that's Jay Kessler, if I would speak to her. We sat down in the front row of the chapel, and through many tears, her heartbreaking story began to unfold. She had been molested by her own father about three times a week since she was four years old. She had never told anyone about this and carried a great sense of guilt as though she were to blame for her father's actions. And can I just say, if you were abused as a child, it is not your fault. As she told me the story, I noticed that both of her wrists were scarred. He says, if you work with youth today, you see those marks often. Tell me about your wrists, I said. Young lady replied, well, I tried to kill myself. Why didn't you do it, I asked. Killing yourself is a relatively simple thing if you really want to do it. If it's just a bid for attention, the attempt is usually feeble. She said, well, I got to thinking, we have a youth pastor at our church. Jay says, oh no, I thought. Now I'm going to hear an ugly story about her getting involved with some youth pastor, but that wasn't it after all. Now I want you to listen to this story. She said he'd just gotten married before he came to our church. And I've been watching him. They look at each other and they hug each other right in our church. One day I was standing in the pastor's study looking out the window and the youth pastor walked his wife out into the parking lot. Now there was only one car in the parking lot. Nobody was around. Nobody was looking. And that guy walked all the way around the car and opened the door and let her in. Then he walked all the way around and got in himself. And there was nobody even looking. Jay continues by writing, that was a nice story, but I couldn't make a connection between that and her problem of incest or attempted suicide. So I asked why this seemed so significant to her. You, you got the story now. He just walked around, put his wife in the car, walked back around, got it himself. Here's what this young lady said. She said, well, I just got to thinking that all men must not be like my dad, huh? I said, you're right. All men are not like your father. She said, Jay, do you suppose our youth pastor is a Christian? Jay said, yes, I think he probably is. And here's what the young lady said. Well, that's why I came tonight. I want to be a Christian too. He concludes by writing, why did she want to be a Christian? Because she saw a man being affectionate and respectful to his wife when he thought nobody was looking. That's the power of a consistent life. That's the power of your example. That's the power of your testimony. You never know what God will do with the way you live when you live for Him. You never know. The words you speak, the way you live, the way you carry yourself in life makes a tremendous impact. And as we've learned and been reminded of today, your example can be good, like the Thessalonians and the youth pastor, or it can be awful, like that driver's ed teacher. The choice is up to you. Now listen, we don't live the Christian life in our own power. It's not a matter of us just trying hard. It's a matter of 
trusting the Lord and allowing the Lord to work in us and through us as we live our lives. But I just want to remind you today, before we close, this great truth. Your example, your testimony is so important. Live your life for Jesus Christ. Can we bow together? Father, I want to thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. And I want to thank you for this first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. It is so wonderfully rich. We've been blessed. We've been challenged. We've been convicted. We've rejoiced as we've studied through these inspired words. Now, I pray that you'll speak to hearts right now. And I pray that if anybody here does not know for certain that they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone, that this will be the hour, this will be the day where they repent of their sin and place their trust in Christ. Now I want to say, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we've left plenty of time today. In a moment, we're going to have an altar call. You don't have to wait till then. You can call upon the Lord right now. Recognize you're a sinner, you're lost, you're doomed, you can't save yourself. But Jesus Christ died for you, shed His blood for you, arose for you, lives for you, and will forgive you if you'll place your faith in Him. I want to encourage you to do that. We can help you during the invitation time. You just come forward and myself or someone else will talk with you, alright? Now Christians, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. What has God said to you today in the message? What's your testimony like? What's your example like? Are you living like a Christian? Do others look at you and see Jesus? Or do they look at you and say, I can't believe they follow Jesus? I don't know what God is saying to you today that's between you and the Lord, but I want you to be obedient. If there's some things in your life that are not right, today's the day to confess and get right about that. The Bible says if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't prosper when we cover our sins and try to make excuses for our sins. We need to confess them, repent of them, and put them away. So I want to give you just a moment before I close this prayer and we sing. By the way, the altar is open. If you want to come and pray today, you can do that or you can pray right in your seat, whatever you feel led to do. But as your testimony, as your example, shining brightly for the Lord Jesus. Would you take a moment, just allow the Lord to speak to your heart? Jesus, I want to thank you for laying down your life for us, for shedding your precious blood, that you might wash away all of our sin. And thank you that you took it up again. Your life, you live forevermore. 
Even so come, Lord Jesus. Help us to be looking for You, waiting up for You like the Thessalonians. But Lord, while we're waiting, may we, may we be working and living for You. Help us, as Your Word proclaims, to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and bring glory and honor to You. Father, we admit that we are weak and needy and we fail. And we need Your enablement. We need Your help. Thank You, Holy Spirit, for living inside of us, for guiding us, for directing us, for convicting us when we do wrong. And Lord, when we do wrong, when we sin, help us to quickly run to the cross, remind ourselves of the Gospel, to confess our wickedness, and to continue on living for You. If we've wronged someone else, help us to make it right as quickly as possible. Lord, though we're not perfect in many ways, may we be consistent in our Christian living, bringing honor and glory to You. Now again, if someone doesn't know You, Father, don't let them leave the building, don't let them leave the church campus until they've settled in their heart that they know You and they know where they're going to spend eternity. So bless, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing that song that she was playing a moment ago, 455, in times like these, you need a Savior, you need a Bible, you need to be very sure that you're on the rock, the Lord Jesus. And again, the altar is open today. If you want to come and pray, if we can assist you, just let me know. We'll be happy to do that. 455 is our invitational hymn. Let's stand up, sing out, you come as God leads.